Welcome to Draft Season, a brand new podcast, which is part of the New York Giants Podcast Network. But important to note, this is an NFL Draft podcast. It is not Giants related. So if you're a fan out there and you love the NFL Draft, this is the podcast for you. My name is John Schmelk. I'll be your host, MC traffic cop through this extravaganza. The two guys that'll be giving you a lot of the information. Of course, you have Tony Pauline, who's been doing this longer than probably both Croc and I have been alive from the from from Pro Football Network. Make sure you check that out. Then you have former NFL defensive back Eric Crocker. He's the host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Does some 49ers coverage as well. Of course, I'm the team reporter for the Giants here at Giants.com. Uh, I'm behind these guys in terms of prospect watching. I probably watched a you know, dozen or so guys, but I was out there at the Senior Bowl with both Tony. Eric was out there as well. And that's what we're going to focus on today, guys. It's kind of the postseason draft process begins here with the Senior Bowl. And the fun part, guys, this is really the last piece of real football we are going to see these guys play until we see them in NFL uniforms come May. Yeah, you know, the Senior Bowl really is the, these prospects had more eyes on them at the Senior Bowl than they will at any time in leading up to the draft. I mean, because what happens at the Combine is when the defensive backs take to the field to do their workout, you just have some head coaches and the defensive back coaches in Lucas Oil Stadium watching them work out. When the wide receiver coaches work, when the wide receivers are working out early in the Combine, it's just the receiver coaches and maybe some head coaches and GMs that are on hand. But what happens at the senior bowl is the defensive back coaches are not just watching the defensive backs. They're also watching the receivers and the tight end. So, you know, last week, the last three days of senior bowl practice and even the shrine game before that, when I was at those three games, those are the, you know, they will, these prospects will have the greatest number or had the greatest number of eyes on them, watching them play real football compared to anything else that they will, they will experience leading up to the actual draft itself. I think the cool thing for me, especially being at the senior bowl, this was my first time ever being there and just kind of being able to, you know, have your own eyes on them. It's one thing to watch guys post clips, but to see them in person, to watch them warm up, to watch them go through their individual drills. And then I like the the kind of like the press conference thing they did in the morning time where you get to ask the guys questions and just get to see how they carry themselves. I thought a lot of that was really cool, you know, just with the, the process of trying to figure out some, you know, who some of these guys are. You know, Croc, it used to be better. And look, the, they do a great job. Jim Nagy and the folks over at the Senior Bowl do a fantastic job. But this is the first year where you had the stadium kind of split in half. You know, back when it was at Lad Peebles, they could, they, you could basically go sit down next to any scout, coach, GM you want and talk to them. And they were just there. And for, for the morning interview session, instead of just doing kind of like individual guys, they would literally let both lost rosters loose in the room you could go up and have a personal wow. chat with any player you wanted, one-on-ones, whatever you wanted. Look, obviously, I think when they get back with the pandemic, they might, you know, loosen the rules again. Jim Nagy and those guys do a great job. But, Croc, I'm telling you, man, the Senior Bowl was one of the last few events where it was still kind of like the Wild Wild West, and you could pretty much do what you wanted. It's a little bit tighter now than what it used to be. Even it was cool. Hotel, even the Players' Hotel, what used to happen is the Players' Hotel used to be able to go up on the second floor, and the players would be there. Scouts would be there. You'd have coaches hanging around, a zillion agents. Uh, and I mean, it was all in a very relaxed atmosphere, exchanging information. You could talk to a player. You could see who the players are talking to. It's been a little bit different the past two years with the pandemic. It'll be interesting to see if they keep that format, especially at the Players Hotel, which is kind of the, you know, the, the center of the universe as far as uh, senior bowl is concerned, if they allow people back up on that second floor where the players and the coaches and the scouts and the general managers hang out. And, you know, I'd say just to kind of put a cap on the hook, like just my experience there, it was cool to kind of run into some of you. I, I didn't get to see Tony, but I definitely saw John. Uh, we met in the in the stands and, you know, a bunch of other people. I got to, you know, go out at night and, and see some of the NFL exec guys, scouts, things like that, have conversations with them about what they're looking for when they're scouting uh, old school mentality versus new school guys and have those conversations with a lot of guys. I thought that was pretty cool, too. You know, Craig, I want to ask you a follow-up over part of your first answer, because I think it's interesting. As the only former player here on this podcast, when you're watching guys on the sideline, right, interacting with coaches, warming up, body language, what are some of the things you're looking for as a guy that's been in those shoes that, you know, maybe might give you a hint one way or the other as to kind of what this guy's makeup is? Well, you know, every everyone's different. And I might see something, and it doesn't mean that this guy is – 
going to be able to play well. But, you know, watching Kobe Bryant go through individual drills and just how loose he was, you know, dance to the music in that type of environment where a lot of guys can be tight or stiff just in the sense of being themselves, right? And you want to see a guy that has that confidence and that ability and maybe leadership skills. I thought with Kobe Bryant, watching him even warm up, he was always the first guy out to do drills. Uh, he was always the one kind of, you know, talking to other guys and, you know, just note some of those things. I don't know if that's going to help his draft stock, but it definitely helped me learn a little bit more about who the person was. How about you, Tony? You've been here a long time. Aside from the drills and all the obvious stuff, getting your guys on these guys in person, what are some of the things that's really important to you? It depends on the position. You know, he talked about Kobe Bryant. I like to see what happens when the cornerbacks get beat. You know, are they all of a sudden limping around because all of a sudden <laughs> comes out uh, one place uh, comes out of nowhere? You know, so a lot of times they're flat. You know, we saw last week at the Senior Bowl where they have officials there. You know, if the flags are thrown because they cause a penalty, or are they raising their hands like it wasn't them? When it comes to the quarterbacks, you want to see that leadership. You know, the guys gravitate to them. Do they? You know, can they lead those guys? Are they natural leaders? So you want to see how the guys act to adversity. And you want to see the leadership and how people react to them and gravitate towards them. All right, let, let's go to the positions now, Tony. And I think quarterback is a good place to start. You yeah. went there. So let's continue down that road. You know, none of these guys, to me, I sat there and said, wow, I have to draft this guy in the top 10. I saw, I, I had a conversation um, last week with somebody and they, they, they said to me, this is a Jeff Risden from real GM does a great job with the draft. He said, you know, Malik Willis, John, he had some of the best reps you'll see. And in during the week throws that wow, year of running with the football is great. He also maybe had the three or first four worst quarterback reps. You might've seen that week in terms of some of the things that he did. And I think that hit it. So for me, and this is where I'll start. And then you guys can take it wherever you want. If you're trying to hit the home run with this quarterback class, you want to pick the guy that maybe, has the skills and talent to become a you know top 10 quarterback one day. Malik Willis is your guy. You just better be ready for that to take two or three years because if you're looking for a guy to come in and start tomorrow, that could be a little bit problematic. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Malik Willis is the kind of guy that you better have a real good quarterback coach. You better to be able to do some hand-holding with him. He has the highest upside of any quarterback in this year's draft. There's no doubt about it. But with high upside also comes a lot of downside. And I agree with Jeff's sentiments. I mean, Malik Willis, like he does on film, like he did during the 2020 season, makes some jaw-dropping throws where you're like, wow, that's incredible. But what I noticed last week is when he was trying to simulate dropping back in the pocket from underneath center, you didn't know where the ball was going. The passes were really wild. So he has the highest upside. I actually thought that Sam Howell, was the most consistent quarterback. Sam Howell gave me more than I expected. He was dropping dimes down the field, 35, 40 yards down the field, in the corner of the end zone, into the receiver's hands. The receiver didn't have to adjust backwards, didn't have to leave his feet to catch the ball, did it in the rain as well. Kenny Pickett, listen, last time we were on this show, we had the show, I mentioned that Kenny Pickett had small hands and he had double-jointed thumbs. Kenny Pickett doesn't get his hands measured, so that's a talking point. They then talk about him having uh, double-jointed thumbs. If you watch Kenny Pickett on Wednesday, he was struggling gripping the ball in the downpour, and it rained pretty heavily on Wednesday. So that's going to be a question mark. Very disappointed in Carson Strong. I expected a lot more from him. He just came across to me, as he does on film, a guy who can fling the ball down the field. Desmond Ritter was up and down. Desmond Ritter, I didn't think he did all that well on Tuesday. Kind of, kind of, you know, filled in the narrative. What I thought about him is that he's a smart guy. He's, he's got great physical skills, but his accuracy is all over the place. Then all of a sudden on Wednesday, he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks on the field. I was like, wow, if you can get this guy to play at this level all the time, you got something. As far as Bailey Zapp is concerned, uh, Bailey Zapp is maybe, in my opinion, a good number three quarterback at the next level. If you're going to draft Bailey Zapp, you're going to do so in the late rounds. He's a product of the systems that he played at in Western Kentucky and Houston Baptist. Just don't think he's got the great physical skills for the next level. But again, I agree with what you said about Malik Willis. Biggest upside of any quarterback in this draft, but there is going to be some time and you're going to need some development. You're going to need to be patient. And this day and age of football, you know, where Bill Parcells says it takes three years to really uh, figure out if, if a guy is worthy of playing in the NFL. Now people want to know the answer in three weeks. Yeah. You know, that's going to be tough for a lot of these guys. But, you know, to touch on Kenny Pickett and the small hands, that was something that was they were talking about it in that little press conference that happened. And, and I did hear people say, hey, 
it's not going to be an issue for him. He threw in, in Pittsburgh and that type of weather and, and late in the year. But one question I wanted to ask him and it didn't really register until like later. Why do you wear gloves? Mm. Right? And we talked about the small hands and we've talked about those things. Like, so why, why is it that you have to wear gloves? And then at the senior bowl, I'm like, oh, well, he only has one glove on. Well, he had it on his throwing hand, not even on the, the opposite hand. So that was very interesting to see. You know, I wonder if that is giving him a little bit extra grip. I will say that might have hurt him in the rain where you are wearing a glove now. And those gloves typically aren't made for wet weather like that. And for someone who is supposed to throw the ball extremely well in that type of weather, I thought the ball was kind of fluttering out of his hands more times than not. I, it looked like the ball was really floating as opposed to him really throwing the ball with any type of real zip in that type of weather. That was one thing where it's like, you're, you're supposed to have the leg up on a lot of these guys. And I didn't think he had that, you know, as opposed to some of the other guys that maybe throws that they were able to make. I think you guys 100% right on Malik Willis. It was really boomer bust. And he's learning new things, learning how to play under center, as Tony was saying. Maybe that wasn't – he wasn't very comfortable with that. But I do kind of put – I don't want to say a premium, but I I like to see, hey, what can you do and what are things that we can work to improve on and get more consistent? And I thought from that standpoint, you guys talked about it. Maybe highest upside – might take some time to get there, but does he at the very least have the things that, hey, I can work with these tools and potentially one day get him to that point? Or do you want to go a safer route? I li- I tend to look more towards a guy with a high upside, so I might lean a little bit more towards him. But I-, I agree with how everyone feels about this class. You go there and there wasn't that one guy that just stood out and said, OK, this is the guy or these two guys are the guys. And then everybody else is whatever. Right now, it's kind of everybody just kind of. Uh, packed together. And I don't think they made any real separation at the senior bowl. Yeah. And I'll say this too, before we move on from the, from from the position, this is more of a, you know, draft strategy and, and quarterback theory standpoint. I lean more towards younger guys that can move around. Now. I do think to be a great quarterback, you have to perfect being a pocket passer. That's what the best guys, you eventually have to do that to succeed at a high level. But, I do think early in a player's career, being able to do things with your legs and be mobile, I think that allows you to hold on to your job longer, right? You look at Josh Allen his first couple of years. He was an inefficient quarterback, under 60% his first year. I think he was 61% his second year. 52 and 58. Yeah, thank you. 52 58. He's able to make so many plays with his legs. You can make up. For some of that stuff, you're still figuring out as a pocket passer, which takes so much more time to develop. And I think that buys you more time. While if you're a guy, and I'll go back to like a Josh Rosen, right? If Josh Rosen couldn't throw from the pocket, Josh Rosen couldn't do anything, right? And I think that's kind of what got him eventually. So I think if you get these guys that can move around a little bit, that will give them a little bit more of an ability to be productive earlier in their career while they're figuring out the tougher stuff, which is becoming a pocket passer. See, the thing is this is, you know, Tom Brady is still a standard. And you got Matt Stafford moving around. Obviously, you can't be a statue in the pocket. you got to be elusive. But I think, you know, you talk about Josh Allen. Anytime Josh Allen takes off the field and, and, and on a design quarterback run, I, I kind of close my eyes because I don't, I don't expect him to get up because he's going to get, get hammered. Lamar Jackson, the same thing. Uh, obviously, you need some elusiveness. But, you know, Tom Brady is still a standard. you mm-hmm. got Matt Stafford in the uh, – in the Super Bowl, you got to wonder, you know, is Patrick Mahomes, who is a, an incredible quarterback, is he the exception to the rule or he is the norm? I don't see a lot of quarterbacks like Patrick, uh, Patrick Mahomes out there who can play from the pocket, get outside the pocket, throw on the move, or pick up a lot of yardage with his legs and do so on a consistently productive basis. I think the tough thing is, like with Tom Brady, I feel like what makes him as great as he is and how he's kind of ruined a lot of Super Bowls for a lot of teams with maybe (laughs) different styles of quarterbacks, he has this different mindset that takes him above and beyond. So Peyton Manning had it, and that's why he was so amazing, right? Tom Brady, you know, he's kind of like the Michael Jordan of the NFL where there are a lot of good basketball players that did not win championships because Michael Jordan was playing at the same time and same era as they were. And maybe when they were at their peak, like guys like Charles Barkley, who is terrific league MVP, but it mattered because he ran into Michael Jordan. I think that's what's happening with some of the issues with quarterbacks now where they're not winning those championships. And it's like, well, Tom Brady's winning them all. He's been to 10 in his career. And it's just kind of hard for teams to get over that hump. So 
uh, I, I know he's kind of the standard for the pocket passer, but I think there's something else mentally that he has that makes him be as great as he is, as well as having a terrific supporting cast with the New England Patriots and then on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least in the two years that he played for them. So, you know, it's going to be a lot tougher for a quarterback, especially now with edge rushers, everyone being so much more athletic to be able to consistently win at a high level, but not have that advanced uh, second reaction play making ability. Yeah. Guys like uh, Mac Jones, who I, I think Mac Jones is terrific and he does a lot of those things, but if, if everything's not perfect around him, right. And we see some of the weapons aren't as ideal there. Uh, maybe if the offensive line, which play very well, if they start to break down a little bit, can Mac Jones still be, uh, you know, play at a high level? Maybe, maybe, but I think it's going to be a lot tougher. So, you know, I think those, that that's the, the philosophy thing that people are going to have to look into. What do they prefer? Who's right? Who's wrong? Uh, Josh Allen, Mac Jones, or, or Patrick Mahomes, that style of quarterback. Yeah, look, and I think it took Tom Brady time to become that guy, right? Like, he wasn't that guy in year one. He wasn't even that guy in year two. Like, it took him time to develop that, you know, expertise as a pocket passer to be elite. Once you can get there, that's great. I just think the mobility buys a quarterback time to develop mentally to become that elite pocket guy, which, you know, some of the more mobile guys can do. Okay, let, let, let's move on now to the running back position. I don't know about you guys. I have a hard time evaluating running backs in a practice when you can't tackle them. I just don't get a lot out of it. You can see some of, you know, physical traits or whatever, but you need to see a running back read blocks, full speed, evade tackles in order to get a real feel for them. Unfortunately, the two guys I like during the week, the uh, Cincinnati running back, and uh, Beatty were the two guys I liked during the week, and then they didn't play in the game. So I didn't get a real good feel for those guys. And the guys I saw in the game, you know, great downhill guys, one-cut runners, they looked fine. But for me, no one really popped in this game. We're like, oh, you know what? This guy, I can invest in him, and I think he's going to be, you know, a 70% of the carries running back type for my team. Well, I agree. But in the case of Beatty and Jerome Ford, the kid from Cincinnati you're talking about, yeah. what you want to see is can they catch the ball in the backfield, especially Jerome Ford. Because if you watch the film, yeah, he's a big downhill runner, but he's got tremendous speed. I mean, he beats defenders into the open field and he can take it to the house. I like Jerome Ford. I really like Beatty. I don't think Beatty's going to be a feature runner, but how many times these days are you looking for a feature runner? You're looking for a guy that you can rotate in. Baby, he's quick. He's got excellent vision, real good footwork, caught the ball exceptionally well. You know, didn't play in the game, but I don't think he had to play in the game because of the three days of practice that he had. So he's a guy who I believe was a late invite, who I think helped himself uh, after three days of practice. I was looking to see Brian Robinson and I was excited to watch him. And I thought he kind of showed me, I guess, what, what I thought. I just wanted to see, like, you know, how do you look a, away from that big, strong, powerful Alabama offensive line? And I, I would say the one thing that was surprising, we knew he could run hard. And, and I saw that on a consistent basis all week. But I think he showed me a little bit more wiggle and a little bit more kind of balance on his feet. Nice contact balance. I know scouts like to use that word, contact balance. But he showed that ability to get, have a little bit more wiggle. And that was a little surprising to me. So Brian Robinson, uh, you know, probably not going to be a day one, maybe not even a day two guy. But if you are looking later, you know, day three type guy, I think he was a guy that stood out where I would kind of draft him in that range. You know, I want to go to the wide receivers now, Croc. Why don't we start with you on this one? For me, the only guy that really, you know, jumped, I shouldn't say only, but the guy that jumped out to be the most and it wasn't even that close was Christian Watson, the wide receiver out of North Dakota State. Big, smooth. I thought his ability to adjust the ball in the air was really impressive and doing it effortlessly. He had a back shoulder catch. You saw him one, you know, coming back to the ball, always makes hands catches, one over the top a couple times. I mentioned the back shoulder. He just looked like a polished wide receiver to me. He reminded me of like a little smaller version of Michael Pittman, who I saw at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago in terms of just his smoothness, adjust to the ball, things like that. Uh, to me, he was by and far the, the, the standout of this class. Yeah, there were a few guys that stood out to me, and he was definitely one. You know, but I went in like wanting to see him. You played at the FCS level. You know, what does it look like when maybe you aren't the fastest guy on the field like you were at North Dakota State? And in the first day, I was looking to see, like, okay, can he take the top off of a defense? One, first, I, I kind of got a little ahead there. I, that was really good to see him measuring at 6'4", even at the senior bowl, yeah. at 211 pounds. That's terrific size. So, all right, they, they say you're going to run in the four threes or low four fours. Let me see that speed. Day one, didn't quite see it. But I saw his ability to, you know, run short to intermediate routes and create enough separation. 
And you, you talked about the strong hands, working back to ball, being strong at the top of routes, uh, not looking like this big, stiff guy. Like those things where I'm like, well, that's, that's all great. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to see, but I did see like, okay, I, I like that. I still want to see you run past some guys. You no, know? That's fair. That's and fair. I thought the next day in the rain, he didn't get the opportunity to truly showcase it in the sense of just running past guys and catching balls in the end zone because the balls were fluttering out of quarterback's hands. And there were a lot of passes underthrown to him vertically, but he got behind guys. He got behind Kobe Bryant. He got behind several other corners where I'm like, he's running past guys by three, four yards. And that's a lot of separation from guys. I was curious to see Kenny running away from those guys as well. So uh, he was a guy that definitely stood out to me. And like I said, I did think he had the best week overall. A few other guys, uh, Calvin Austin uh, out of Memphis, smaller guy. I mean, you talk about going from a 6'4 guy to a 5'7 guy, but his ability to create separation, short, intermediate routes, uh, working on comeback routes. Guys wanted to get up at the line of scrimmage and press him. They couldn't get a hand on him. Then guys tried to play off. He ran straight by them. I thought he was a guy that showed a lot of terrific stuff and also has some special teams aspect to his game, as well as uh, Christian Watson, which was interesting to see. He returned the kickoff return for a touchdown at North Dakota State. But uh, another couple of guys, uh, Tobert. Yeah. Out of uh, South Alabama. Oh, yeah, he was great, he was especially especially in the indoor practice. Man, he was fantastic. Yeah. and that was the and that was the practice. I didn't get to see that one live, but I just thought uh, on the first two days, I'm like, wow, who is this kid? I like number eight, and and he wasn't the guy I was focusing on, but he just kept popping. You know, like every every few times I'd see it, and I'm like, man, who is number eight out there? He, I thought he did a terrific job, and then Alec Pierce. Uh, what I liked from him was, you know, he showed me much more twitch. Than I thought, than I was expecting to see. You know, at Cincinnati, he was a guy that was more of a pure 50 50 ball catcher type guy. He'd go up in traffic and make those type of catches, but it was really good to see him have some twitch and be able to separate on intermediate routes as well and measure in very well. A shade in the 6'3, I thought he did well uh, for himself. And there's going to be those comps, you know, maybe because he's a white receiver, but, you know, Cooper Cup, more of that bigger slot. Will he end up being more of a guy where they're like, all right, maybe you don't have pure straight line speed, but we could put you in a slot. You have enough twitch. You have enough uh, smarts and route running savvy. And then the contested catch ability, maybe that would be a spot where he could really make some money at the next level. Yeah, I would agree. I, I thought Watson was the most consistent pass catcher all week. I do question his ability to separate the next level, but he's a big target. And, and he caught everything that was thrown to him, which was fantastic. I also agree with Jalen Tolbert. I mean, Tolbert was a guy who – I think looked much faster than I expected. When you yeah. watch him on film, he looks just like a bigger possession receiver, but he was able to get down the sidelines and show himself to be a, uh, a solid vertical threat. Calvin Austin, the thing that you mentioned is route running on Wednesday, when it was pouring, when everyone was slipping all over the place, Calvin Austin was running scissor sharp routes, quickly getting in the breaks, staying low on exit, coming out of his, uh, out of his breaks with balance, catching the ball really well. Again, the fact is he's a smaller guy. You're going to use him in a slot, maybe put him in motion before the snap. Also has some return ability. One other guy who played, I thought played very well before he got injured was Danny Gray of SMU. Had a terrific practice on Tuesday, injured his heel and wasn't able to go the rest of the week. But again, like Calvin Austin, was able to get separation in those one-on-ones with excellent route running ability, caught the ball exceptionally well. You know, you want to, when you see these drills, it's not just catching the ball, it's catching the ball fundamentally correctly, you know, extending your hands and catching the ball away from your frame. I saw too many guys, Trey Turner from Virginia Tech, catching the ball against his frame, catching the ball against his frame. You don't want to see that. I mean, that, that just, you can't do that at the next level. But I, I saw Danny Gray and Calvin Austin, especially Christian Watson, consistently extending their hands, looking the ball into their hands, catching the ball away from their frame. That's the type of things you want to see, especially in those drills. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out Valus Jones Jr. too. I thought he actually had a pretty good week. We saw him yeah, catch a really, exactly. we saw him catch a really tough punt in the game too. He's a very good special teams guy. Caught a punt over his shoulder in the game. I thought he got behind people. Uh, I thought he was a pretty consistent route runner. I know he uh, graduated to Tennessee with a graduate degree, so he's a smart dude. Uh, he's a veteran. That's another guy I just wanted to toss out that I thought had a real, had, had a pretty nice week too. He beat up at his Tennessee teammate a couple times too in those one on ones. Yeah, he did. I thought he was really good. Tight ends, guys. I thought this was a really good class. You know, you don't have some, you know, Kyle Pitts type, maybe not even like an Evan Ingram type that's going to run like a 4-4 or something like that and burn people down the field. But I thought it was a really solid group of two-way tight ends that could block a little bit, catch a little bit, 
not burners. They kind of know how to find space and zone. You know, a lot of guys are going to go day two, yeah. early day three. That could be starters in the league for a long time. I thought uh, Jake Ferguson at Wisconsin had a really good third day of practice. He had a nice toe tap in the back of the end zone and hands catch. He had that touchdown in the game showing that run after catch ability. Um, what did you guys think of the tight ends class? Any of those guys specifically jump out to you? Tony, let's start with you this time. Yeah, you described this tight end class perfectly. I mean, there's no Kyle Pitts at the top of the class. You got Jalen Weidermeyer of Texas A&M who's going to go early, but you're going to get good value starting in rounds two, three, four, and even five. So uh, I like Trey McBride. I mean, I thought Trey McBride of Colorado State, again, gave me more than I expected, really looked good running routes, caught the ball very well. I think he probably moved towards the top of that second group of tight ends, as did Jeremy Rucker of Ohio State, who at times last year was the odd man out at Ohio State because of the new brand new quarterback who didn't look his way. But he's a big, physical, athletic guy who caught the ball really, really well. So I think they all played reasonably well. Isaiah Likely of uh, Coastal yeah. Carolina, one of my favorites, had some nice downfield receptions. He's more of a move tight end. Very good group. And basically, you know, sort of like we talked about the quarterbacks kind of not being great. These guys, the tight ends were not great, but they fit in, you know, as we expect them to. Day two, early day three, even through the middle part of day three, and you're going to get a good tight end if you need one this year. I think the guy that really just kind of stood out to me just from his physical presence, Cole Turner, right? Am I saying the last name right, Turner? The tight end out of Nevada? Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, just big physical presence. Now, you know, he's not as twitched up as some of the other guys, as you'd expect for somebody that's six foot six. And he is no Kyle Pitts when it comes to route running or ability to separate or anything like Kyle Pitts. I don't even know why I brought Kyle Pitts up, but uh, <laughs> there are a lot just, of Kyle Pitts, dude. It's okay. Yeah, nah, just, just with his height, you know, just being yeah, no, six you. foot six, kind of being out there and seeing how he was able to kind of utilize his frame. You no, know, he's more of like a Kelvin Benjamin playing tight end. There we go. I know Kelvin Benjamin, the, the New York Giants legend. Uh, you guys got to see him there, but uh, uh, you know, yeah, the, no, nobody really stood out too much from here. I, I saw a couple of nice uh, pass catchers, uh, a, a couple of nice catches, but nothing too crazy, but just maybe some potential with some guys. I got a, I have a funny Kelvin Benjamin story. I could tell you off the air for his little <laughs> two week <laughs> stay here. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I thought Rucker and he didn't play in the game, right? Tony, I didn't see him on game day, right? Rucker. I did not, but a lot of those guys usually don't play in the game. Yeah. I, he made this one catch. I thought it was the best catch of tight I made all week. I think it was the first practice. It was a pass thrown to him. It was a bad pass. Dude bends down. The ball's probably four or five inches off the ground, catches it with two hands without even going down, picks it up off the turf, gets up and runs with it. Like that's the type of, you know, flexibility and smooth hands and ability to, to, to running, to, to catch and run that, that, that I thought was special. All right. Final, final offensive group, offensive line. I think maybe you have two off first round offensive linemen in this group, maybe Trevor Penning, you know, maybe Zion Johnson, but I do think you saw some guys in this group, especially some of the smaller school guys. I thought, you know, Dylan Parham from Memphis had a pretty decent week. Cole strange. I thought showed a little bit. you had the Austrian kid out of central Michigan, uh, Bernhard Ryman, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Right. So I thought there were some, some, some guys here that, that showed a little bit that you're happy with, but I don't think you saw some of the, some of the dominant guys that we've seen in some of these, you know, senior bowl classes in past years, Tony. Penning's going to go first round. It's a matter of where round one does he go. Now I'm told he's going to test the roof at the combine. I still like him as a bottom third of round one guy, but you know, he went there with a chip on his shoulder, sometimes for the good, sometimes not for the good. And he, well, that's how he played. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and, and you know, he wanted to prove that he was a tough guy. Some people thought it was over the top, but you know, that's what small school guys do. He's a real good right tackle prospect. I don't think he's a left tackle. He got beat a couple times because I think he was too amped up, but he's got the size and he got the ability to start at the next level. Zion Johnson. I think he's going to go more top around two. I think the fact that he showed he can play center besides guard really stood, stood out to me. One guy that I really like was Andrew Stuber of Michigan. The, the tackle at Michigan moved into guard. Great fundamentals. I mean, sinking his butt at the line of scrimmage, bending his knees, and really just handled almost every single rep in one-on-ones that he, he had, and even in full scrimmage where he was just turning guys off the line and opening up the running lanes. I think, you know, like Zion Johnson, showing he can go from guard to center and Zion Johnson's also played some up tackle at Boston College. Stuber making the seamless transition 
to offensive guard when people know he's a small area guy who's not going to be able to handle the tackle position at the next level and doing so as efficiently and productively as he did every day at senior bowl practice. I think that's, that's a major, uh, a major, it was a major plus for him. It's going to help this draft stock. Yeah. I didn't pay too much attention to the offensive line. So See, I know there was a big kid from Minnesota. I got some good like, kind of yeah insight on him. Just how, Maybe he's not the most athletic from what I was told, but he's so big and he has really long arms that it's hard for guys to get around him. That's as much as I got on the offseason. See, line. This was, when you got a DB, he doesn't want to hang out with the big boys down there. He's watching <laughs> the guys catch passes down. And by the way, folks, just so you understand, too, when you're at senior world practice, the offensive line, defensive line, one-on-ones are going on at the same time as seven-on-seven, seven, at the same time as a wide receiver DB one-on-one. So you can't really watch both at the same time. So it's a tough thing to manage, but it's funny. You, I was about to mention uh, Daniel Faalele, I believe is, is how you pronounce it. And I looked at him like, boy, he, you know, he looked a big dude. Then I went on my phone and I looked at the measurements. Six, eight, three, eighty six. Oh, my gosh. And there was a play in practice where they did a, a toss pitch and it was like a, um, a Ted block, a, a tight end down block. And the tackle comes around the edge. This dude at 68380 is running in space at this poor cornerback that's trying to set the edge against this guy. He could not have bailed out quicker, and I can't blame him. I was actually pretty impressed. He got beat sometimes in the one-on-ones, Tony, but I thought he actually showed some athletic ability. I think he's a fun project. If you're picking in the fourth round, maybe you get him and try to develop him, maybe get him to drop 30 pounds. I, I, think, that, I think that's a really interesting player, to be honest with you. He's an athletic guy at 350, at 375, at 380. He can be all over the place, and he misses a lot of blocks. So the thing with Falele is, obviously, he's got the size. He's got the athleticism, but he's going to have to do the right things off the field to make sure that he can play on the field. So you're right about the 30 pounds, and I think that's the difference between Falele being a starter in the NFL Versus being a guy that bounces around from roster to roster to roster, practice squad to practice squad to practice squad. And, you know, by the way, guys, and and I want to get your opinion on this too, Croc. This is what we can't figure out, right? Like, I was talking to uh, Giants general manager Joe Shane about this. And I said, it's really easy for us to say, all right, this is what this college player is, right? But how do you figure out which of the guys that can develop, do what it takes off the field to be better. You know, Crocker, you're in this league. You know, there are guys that yeah. had all the talent, but, but, but they do not put the work in to become great. So that's really the tough part of the scouting process, right? Figuring out which of these guys will do what it takes to continue to improve, and they're not just going to stay at the same player that they are right now. I think that's probably maybe the most important thing, even more so than how talented they are. Obviously, you you want to marry the two together, but uh, quick kind of little backstory, please. Uh, Trey Trey Lance, right? Trey Lance was coming out, and you start to hear all these little details about the person that he is, and obviously he has a lot of things that he needs to work on. But when you see the ability and the upside, and they match that with the person that he is, and you hear some of the things that Daniel Jeremiah was saying about him, like, hey. I sat down with him for an hour at lunch, and this is the most impressive kid I've ever been around. And at the time, he was only 20 years old. You start to hear about the stories about him, you know, telling his dad he wants to go play Division One football, and he has to wake his dad up. And his dad was like, hey, if you want to work out, you got to wake me up at 5 a.m. He didn't miss a day. That's what the story is. He didn't miss a day, woke his dad. So when you hear people hear about people like that, you know that they're kind of wired different. And whatever issues that they have, like mechanically or whatever thing that they can work on, you bet on that person to overcome it if they have to work at it, all right? And I've seen that in, in being in locker rooms where freak defense alignment, 6'6", six, six, you know, 260 pounds with all the most amazing gifts that anyone could ever want, but doesn't have the work ethic to back it up and just relies on that athleticism too much. And that's a guy that goes first round, but then he doesn't end up panning out. People are like, man, well, why is this guy a bust? And a lot of people say that, oh, that guy's going to be a bust. Like, dude, you never know because you don't know what type of work ethic this person has. All right. And when it came to, you know, some of these guys here at the senior bowl, a lot of it is going to be what kind of work ethic does this guy have? Okay. He has all the terrific ability and all that. That's great. But does he have to work at the, to back back it up? And for some guys, it comes sooner. Other guys, it takes a little while for them to truly grasp that and understand it. But yeah, I've been in the locker room with plenty of guys where you're just like, oh my goodness, this guy's a freak. But then he just doesn't get it up here. 
or in here. Tony, and by the way, that, that's why the interview process at night is so important, right? That's a big part of the senior bowl we haven't talked about. All these teams get to meet with these prospects in, in the evenings and figure out exactly what these guys are all about. And that's really the – now with all the tape availability we have, isn't that kind of what the ins and outs of scouting is, is trying to figure out that part of it since everyone has the tape now? You, you can, and it's not an exact science. You may not get an answer, or you may even be fooled by the answer you get, and you get right. something other than what you ultimately end up with. I mean, it's not just the scouting pro- uh, the interview process. They'll go back yeah. and talk to college coaches. They'll talk to high school coaches if they have to, and you have to rely on you know what the college coach says about the player and hope that the college coach doesn't have an ax to grind against the player. It, you know, if the college coach is saying, you know, the guy's lazy. The guy doesn't, you know, put in the work. Or the guy's the first one here. The guy's the last one to leave. Leave. It, it, it's very extensive. They will tap into everything. Miss lack of information is the biggest deterrent. Is the biggest in, a variable factor that will hurt a prospect uh, come draft weekend. They will do everything they can. And even at times when they think they have all the information, they could be wrong. Look at what the Jets are going through right now with Mackay Becton. Yeah, no question about it. All right, let's. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball here, fellas. And start with the defensive line. And I thought this, out of all the units, I think this might have been the strongest one, I think, this week. Jermaine Johnson, fantastic. Uh, Kingsley Anabare from South Carolina, fantastic. Uh, Boye Mafe at Minnesota came on strong in the game after a very good week. I just thought it was, and then talk about the defensive tackles. Travis Jones was the immovable object. He made a living. He just walked centers back into the quarterback's lap in practice the whole week. I could go on and on here. I don't want to take all the names. So, uh, Tony, who were the guys that jumped out at you on the defensive line here that you thought, you know, really stole the show? Well, obviously, Travis Jones. I mean, forget about just practice. If you watch the game, he, you know, Dylan Parnham, who actually played well, as you mentioned, yeah. you just watched awesome. him back and use him as an assistant uh, almost to, to make the tackle. I, I mean, he was uh, the thing about, you know, let's go back to the work ethic. The thing about Travis Jones is he's a big guy who's very athletic. And he was dominant all three days of practice. Now, the question for Travis Jones is going to be, well, why did you play that way in 2020 against Holy Cross, against UMass? Why did you look like, you know, you really weren't motivated to play? If you get Travis Jones last week, looked like a legitimate top 40 selection. No doubt about it. An athletic nose tackle type that can play three downs. But Travis Jones on film kind of looks more like a day three pick. So you, you got to have to kind of figure that one out. I thought Perry and Winfrey of Oklahoma had some outstanding moments and really played well. John Ridgway of Arkansas. Want to talk about a big guy, 325 pounds, moves well, very athletic, uh, showed some things on the inside. I thought the Penn State linebacker, Arnold Ikbetekti, I know I'm going to butcher his last name, undersized, ter- uh, undersized pass rusher. He was explosive. Fast up the field, relentless, played with leverage, good knee bend, fundamentally sound, really sort of a pass rush specialist that you can get later on in the draft. Yeah, there were definitely some guys that stood out to me. And you guys started with uh, Jermaine Johnson, and he was terrific. And it's awesome, you know, being next to a like a pass, pass, pass rush specialist type coach. So one of my buddies out there in Minnesota, he trains a bunch of athletes uh, getting ready for the NFL, and he was in awe with what he saw from Jermaine Johnson, just with, from his physique, what he looked like. You know, you start talking about his ability to kind of bend, how loose-hipped he was, how, you know, agile he was on his feet. Uh, all those things stood out to him. And then watching him, you know, run the hoop and how uh, seamless it was for him being able to dip down, you know, grab that bag, you know, get around, put it back down. All those things jumped out. And then there was one thing that really stood out to him too. It was some technique where he's like, Croc, I can guarantee he was not asked to do that at Florida State. And that had to be something that he learned in the NFL and that he just learned that week. And he was able to translate that over to practice. So there were a lot of good things that Jermaine Johnson did to definitely stand out to a lot of people. Uh, you mentioned Boye Mafe. And, you know, I watched Boye Mafe in the rain uh, Wednesday. I focused more on the defensive line there. And he didn't lose not one rep. He didn't lose any reps on, on Tuesday. He didn't lose any reps on Wednesday either. And it was cool to see him not only went from the outside with speed, he showed a, a couple of different uh, moves. He, he rushed inside on one. Then he hit a guy with a spin move, come back in, get to the quarterback on the next one. But his next two pass rushes came from the three tech. Now, he's not this huge guy. He's about six, three and a half that he measured in at the, uh, at the senior bowl and around 255 to 260. But for him to be able to get into that three tech and 
the guard just could not handle the speed and athleticism from there. And he won back-to-back reps there too. So I think Boye Mafe, he did a terrific job really kind of standing out uh, to me in those two days. And then another guy, uh, Tyreek Smith at Ohio State. Uh, Just between him and uh, Jesse Lukita, linebacker out of uh, Penn State, those two guys, they both had some splashy plays, splashy ability. I like Tyreek Smith, just his energy and that presence that I felt from him just watching him in the stands and how he was getting around the relentlessness from him as well. Uh, I thought this was a really good group from both teams on the defensive line. It's funny, we even mentioned Devontae Wyatt. I mean, he might be the first tackle of this group taken. He was good at, at a Georgia. Uh, Logan Hall at a, at a Houston. I thought he had a really nice week, too, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I thought there was a really strong group. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of day two picks from this defensive line group uh, come the NFL draft. Linebacker. I know we kind of stick a lot of those edge guys that are kind of really linebackers into the defensive line edge class now. Off-ball guys, again, for me, Mike, running backs. I like to see these guys in games. I think it's hard to see without tackling and stuff in practice what they're really about. The one guy I'll talk about is Troy Anderson out of Montana State. I thought he was fantastic, can run, can get downhill and tackle. He had three straight PBUs, uh, pass breakups, in red zone one-on-ones on day three indoors. I mean, that's a really tough thing for a linebacker to do covering running backs and tight ends. Three straight. So he's the guy that me, I think he made himself a lot of money. If he's not a day two pick, I'd be shocked. I thought he was really good. Any of the linebackers really jump out to you guys off ball? Well, the thing about Troy Anderson is he had to show that he could play in coverage. Like a lot of the running backs, they come here and they have to show that they can catch the ball in the backfield. Troy Anderson, when you watch the Montana State State film, he's basically an up-the-field, in-the-box, sometimes out-to-the-sidelines type of linebacker. He's rarely asked to make plays in reverse. And you're right. He did an exceptional job of it. So that, that tells coaches, that tells scouts, you know what? This guy has the ability to be a three-down defender. We can leave him on the field on third and five and place him over the tight end, play, put him, have him play over the running back because he can cover. Absolutely. And that was what that was what Troy Anderson had to prove coming into Senior Bowl week, that he could make plays in reverse just as well as he's going to make him up the field. I agree with you. Uh, helped himself and moved into day two. Same thing with Chad Muma of a Wyoming, same sort of situation, a big, tough, punch-in-the-mouth type of guy who's really good against the run, forceful on the blitz, showed much better than expected in, in coverage drills. I thought DeMarco Jackson of Appalachian State also showed a lot of good things throughout the practice. He's an explosive guy, a little bit shorter, struggled in coverage uh, in college, but proved he can get down the field, he can get depth on the pass drops, he can cover the middle of the field, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for guys to do things during senior bowl practices that they either couldn't do in college or weren't asked to do in college. I thought uh, Troy Anderson, Chad Muma, and DeMarco Jackson did them all very well. All right. And yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see the linebackers too much. <laughs> I, I saw them a little bit one-on-ones against running backs, but I didn't pay enough attention to be able to like get someone's name down. Yeah, and again, linebackers are tough, especially in practice. You, you got to see them in the flow of the game, reading, reading blocks and, and, and all that type of stuff. All right. Croc, you're the star of the show here. Talk about the DBs for me, brother. Yeah, so there were a couple that jumped out for for different reasons. One, Roger McCreary. This is a guy who scouts are going to be confused about a little bit. You know, he's not the biggest guy. He measured in at 5'11", which isn't small in in height, 186 pounds. It's a little slight frame, frame, but his arm length. I mean, it was like 28 inches or 29 inches, like the shortest arms I've seen, I've seen measured as far as me be, being able to really pay attention. And um, I thought that would be an issue. So I said, okay, are they going to play him outside or are they going to think he doesn't have the length and they want him to play inside? Well, they did. As soon as uh team started, first place I saw him lined up was at the nickel. Now, this is someone who I, I think is a terrific prospect at corner and just has the ability to play inside, outside. And one-on-ones, you were able to watch him do more outside uh, corner type stuff. And I thought he held his own. I thought he was terrific. Uh, His very first rep, extremely aggressive with the receiver throughout the route. At the top of the route, broke the ball up. So he has that type of ability. I thought he showed that on film as well. You know, you put on games like Alabama, where, I mean, he maybe was targeted 13 times. And I'd say about seven of them fell incomplete. And he just has ability to play lined up inside. He ran with slot fades extremely well. Uh, cover guys on the outside. He's a very good competitor, but I was curious to see where would they line him up? What do they think about him? He might profile more as a nickel at the next level, especially if he shows that uh, uh, aggressiveness. And then uh, another guy, and there are a bunch of guys I can go on and talk about, but another guy I really want to make sure I highlight 
Tariq Woolen uh, out of UTSA. Now this is this is intriguing because he's six four. He's a six four corner. I think he measured in slightly under six four, two hundred and five pounds. I don't necessarily like the six four guys. I think their movements are extremely long, and they have to figure out how to work with that. Now he's a a plus 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 athlete. Uh, he had the fastest. Uh, time miles per hour as you know, according to that zebra thing that they had measuring guys miles per hour, it was like 22 points, something like it was the fastest on the field. Uh, so he has that. Everyone I spoke to said he's going to jump 40 plus inches. Brock jumps going to be crazy. They are questioning like, man, is he going to run into four twos, four threes? So he's a special athlete. But again, when you're six, four and he's new to the position, the guy who was a receiver and converted late in his college career to the cornerback position, are you going to learn to be able to play when your movement skills are longer as opposed to the receivers that you're going up against that might have better change of directions. What type of issues can that pose to you? So I asked him about that. How do you work, plan on improving on that? What are some things you feel like you can do? And he talked about, you know, continuing to work and stuff. I suggested to him, I said, hey, I played with a guy that was a lot like you. His name is Antonio Camardi. He was this really long, terrific athlete. You might want to connect with him. And I actually tweeted uh, Camardi, told him, hey, check out this kid. He's built like you. You need to work with him. Antonio Camardi responded right away. He said, hey, if he's in Texas, I'll work with him. So we'll see if Woolen uh, works with Camardi in the offseason to help improve maybe not just the physical part about it and understanding your body, but the mental aspect of it too, because I think that's one of Antonio Camardi's strength as to why he's able to kind of play around maybe being a longer movement type guy. Yeah, and, and Woolen is going to run in the four twos. I mean, he's running the four threes now in training. I think the best way to describe Woolen is he's a better athlete than he's a football player right now. And if you watch the one on ones, it's exactly everything that Eric said. I, I mean, he's a bit slaughtered in transition, struggles making plays with his back to the ball. He's got to learn the position, but teams are going to fall in love with those physical skills. They're going to fall in love with the height, even though six three and change may be a little bit too tall. But they're going to, and they're going to try and find a place for him to play. As far as the other DBs that I like, I like Jalen Petrie of Baylor a lot. And again, Jalen Petrie at Baylor was more of a hybrid safety linebacker guy that was asked to make plays up the field. Showed really well in coverage. I mean, really well in coverage. Uh, Caleb Evans of Missouri, I thought played exceptionally well. Every time you were watching him, he was knocking away passes. He was defeating op opponents. Had a little trouble in the rain against uh, Jones of Tennessee. But otherwise, I mean, he was a guy, Caleb Evans, who really, I felt, uh, flew under the radar screen. If he runs a good time during the combine of pro day workouts, he's going to end up in day two. He's highly rated coming into the year. Former Tulsa player, transferred to Missouri last year, had a solid season. I got to speak with him. He's a fun guy. He's a good guy to talk to. Understands the position. We talked about the history of Tulsa and, and Missouri and things like that. Uh, and someone who the few times he got beat, he rebounded and came back with a, a, a good repetition, which is what you want to see. You talked about Petrie, and uh, I have kind of this inside guy. He gives me the scoop on some players. He coached at, uh, he coached at Baylor. He also coached at South Carolina. He's in the NFL now, but he always talks to me. He's one of my former teammates. He always gives me a heads up on guys, and he has sent me nonstop stuff on, on uh, Debo Samuel. He was like, hey, Croc, got it, got it. this Debo, this kid, Debo Samuel, I'm telling you, he's the next guy. And he was right about Debo. Then he told me about J.C. Horn. He said, hey, Croc, everybody's talking about the 6'4 corner we have over here. But I'm telling you, this guy, J.C. Horn, he came through, true freshman, was the leader, alpha male in the locker room. That's the guy. He's going to be the prospect, not the 6'4 corner. All right. He was right on that. J.C. Horn ended up being a top 10 pick. And he's been really praising, having a high praise for Petrie. Tell me about the player that he is, the person that he is. A lot of high praise. He came out. He won the award for uh, best kind of safety in that group. I guess that's what the tight ends and running backs or whatever kind of voted on. So Petrie is another guy who stood out to a lot of people and maybe improved his draft stock. I like his versatility, being able to play that safety position, but also able to slide in, do some nickel type stuff as well. Yeah. I think the NFL game now is so wide open. You need those versatile guys. You don't, you don't, you're not seeing a whole lot of the bigger, stiffer guys unless they're just an amazing athlete at the safety position. Guys like Petrie, I think that's going to be more the norm. I've seen the you know, name thrown out there like Tyron Matthew. I don't want to call him Tyron Matthew because I think Tyron Matthew is special. But I think for a guy that has that type of versatility, I think you can make the comparison from that standpoint. All right, guys, before we wrap it up, any names we missed? Anybody, anything else at the, the Senior Bowl that you guys want to make sure we get in here 
before we wrap up our first episode of this brand new podcast? Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, sometimes you pay attention to, to specialists. Sometimes, you know, the Penn State punter was kicking the stuffing out of the ball. That, um, right? uh, man, I mean, he was pounding that ball in the air, uh, getting great hang time, flipping the field during drills. And, you know, you really don't pay attention to those guys too much. But it's when, uh, when you know, all of a sudden you see this guy just kicking the crud out of the ball. And that's <laughs> what he did, uh, you, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday. And he had a punt in the uh, game that went like 65 yards in the air, right? I, I guess. I, I mean, like <laughs> I said, who, I, I pay attention to punters that the last group that I do, unless somebody really catches my eye. And this cat caught my eye uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, Mario Gervich, cornerback out of uh, Clemson. Clemson. You know, I thought he had a strong day one. And, and again, I'm looking for versatility. Guys that can play outside, can they play inside? Because I'm where my head goes is, hey, I don't know what type of receiver I'm going to have to maybe potentially have you shadow or do matchups. I like what the New England Patriots do, man. Third down, they'll lock up, and they bring in all type of shapes and sizes with the cornerbacks and have them match up on different style receivers. I want to see what type of ability do you have to line up inside, outside. And I think Mario Gervich showed – uh, at least the ability to do that. I love the competitor that he was. Uh, I thought he did a terrific job contesting passes at the catch point. I thought the feet and change of direction, it was solid. Uh, probably could be a little bit better, but I think it was more more than solid. So uh, he was another guy I definitely wanted to uh, mention. And the funny thing about Goodrich was he wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the year. He was not even on their radar, but he had such a good season playing next to Booth, ends up at the senior bowl, and now he really went from – non-entity in the draft, he's probably going to be a mid-round pick. It's fantastic. Love to see the guys make those late runs and, and make some noise here. Gentlemen, this was a lot of fun. Everybody, just as a reminder, this is the first episode of our draft season podcast. We're going to drop weekly episodes from now through the draft. If we're very successful, maybe, maybe you might see us during the college football season next year, too, to talk some college football prospects as we go along. So make sure you check it out. You can find it um, if you're a Giants fan on the Giants mobile app. Uh, giants.com slash podcast, but we're on every popular podcast platform. Uh, you guys know, check it out, find the subscribe, leave a five-star positive review, all that good stuff. Before we say goodbye, Tony Croc, tell the folks where they can find you on social media, where they're going to find all your other content besides what you're doing for draft season. I'm at Tony Pauline on Twitter, pro football network. I mean, we had daily practice reports from the shrine game, as well as the senior bowl how each player did every day. Our guys are down at the uh, Super Bowl this week, so you can get the scoop on what's happening there and, and get ahead of the news as far as the coaching situations are concerned. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Eric the Score Crocker. I put out all my information. Uh, anywhere else you can find me, you can find it first on Twitter. So follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. And he's still recovering from his 49ers back there, not making it to the Super Bowl. Oh. So if, 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 if Croc was a little depressed, that's why. You just brought the depression back. (laughs) (laughs) I finally was kind of getting over it. Then you just brought it right back. Oh, my gosh. Up 10 in the fourth quarter again. Trust me, I wish I was worrying about the playoffs the last three weeks, so I really didn't have a right to say anything. So I'll just leave it at that. Boys, good stuff. We'll talk to you next week as you continue along here and start getting ready for the NFL Combine. We'll see you next time on the draft season.